0: Let's grab our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. Church, we have gathered on what is the most holy day of the Christian calendar all around the world. For almost 2,000 years, people just like us have gotten together to remember that on a specific moment in history, God moved in such a way to redeem all humanity. That God worked with such a powerful force that He was going to redeem heaven and earth that every man, woman, and child that would submit to His will would be born again into a kingdom of heaven, that we would live free from sin, free from fear, that death would never be the grave. So we believe that about 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross, He was placed in a tomb, and He was resurrected. But that moment is not frozen in history. That moment is alive and well, and is the power that is the Christian church. That moment... Active in our hearts and souls is what separates us, living Christians, delighting in the presence of God from a stodgy religion. Like it is what gives us hope and peace, is that the power of the resurrection of Jesus is at work in you. I want to read Romans chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, and then I want to pray for you. This is what the Bible says For if we have been united with him, Jesus, in a death like his, We'll certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. But we know that our old self was crucified with Him. So that our body that was ruled by sin might be done away with. That we would no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Paul gives us a hint. But the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power that God unleashed to heal the world, it's active in every one of you today who have asked for Christ's salvation. It's present and powerful in every one of us who have submitted our lives to Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed by the power of the cross, raised by baptism, our sins put to death, forgotten, our life born again, a brand new hope. I want to pray to that end for us as we begin this ministry in the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, it's with great pleasure that we read from the book of Romans and reflect on the cross of Jesus Christ, on the day that he died for us and the day that he was raised for us. And God, I pray for myself and for all of my sisters and brothers that have come out to worship you this morning, that you would pour out your spirit on us. Father, that we would feel the full force of the power of the resurrection of Christ, that we Lord, would perceive that you are shaping us from the inside out into the image of Jesus Christ. You're taking away the old, and Lord, you are bringing the new. Father, I pray that we would be new women, new men, that as we've been born again in Jesus, Lord, today that we would be ever more new. God, I pray that you'd set us free to walk in new life. I pray that men and women today, Lord, would be set free. Father in heaven, I'm confident. That in this room today, there are some very special people that you have brought here for the purpose of seeing them begin a new life in Jesus Christ. Father, I am confident that there are people, maybe who have been religious for years or who have never darkened a church's doors, who are far from you, have never asked for the salvation that is in Jesus. And God, I pray that today you would deliver it to them, that you would grant them the great gift of grace that they would delight in you from this day forevermore as they walk out today new people sharing in your resurrection. I ask your blessing on us today. In Christ's name, amen. One of the most powerful ideas in Christianity is that as we come to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ and we allow God to have our work, His work done in our souls, beginning at the cross and the resurrection and moving forward into eternity, He changes us. One of the most powerful ideas of our faith is that we become new people. We we have renewed minds, renewed hearts. We have new goals. We lose fear and guilt. It's in the past. We don't have to worry about an eternal destiny. We know that we are set apart to be with God forever in a new heaven and a new earth. A lot of things change as we are born again in Christian terminology. But I want to read in Romans chapter 6 in just a minute and talk to you about how Paul the Apostle believes that the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at work in you. I want you to know today that God is working in your spirit and His desire is to make you a new person. That you'd be born again at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. That you'd have a fresh, radical new start That begins the day you confess your faith in Jesus and are baptized to show that Christ is your new Lord. But it starts there and carries on for the rest of your life as God works out His salvation in your soul. As He sanctifies us and makes us more holy. As He changes our lives. I'm inviting you today to share in the resurrection of Jesus. That you would let the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of God, be at work in your soul. And that you would let him take you from wherever you are today to where God wants you to be. I believe that our church would be blessed, our city would be blessed, if every one of us in here allowed God to have his way in us. If he transformed us, moving us more and more to freedom from our anger or our lust or our greed, our arrogance or our pride. If he made new men, putting to death the old man. And I want to read about how that happens. You see all over the place people want to be better we want to be new we want to be free we we want to kick our old habits we want to shake the dust off and be better we want to be a blessing to our kids in our minds in our vision we we imagine that one day at our funeral people are going to gather around and talk about how much we meant to them we want to be better we want to be free from our sins different changed we want to be a blessing to people And so did the people in Rome in the day that Paul was preaching to them and writing to them. As he wrote this letter, the book of Romans, you see a people who want to be set free from sin. They want to be free to delight in God from this day on forevermore. They want God to do a good work in their heart. They don't want to go back to the chains of their old habits or hang-ups. They want to see God do something fresh. They want to see a day when their temper is settled and their anger is dead. They want to see a day when their greed gives way to generosity, when covetousness is gone and contentment rules their soul. They want to be better, and I do too. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. I want to be more like Jesus Christ. I crave the life transformation that Jesus died and rose to bring. When Christ died and He rose from the dead, God started a good work. Let me tell you about it. In the Scriptures, we are taught as believers that God's ultimate agenda is to bring a new heaven and a new earth. God made an earth and it was good. He put people in it. Very good. But we sin and we've always suffered the curse of sin that Adam brought on us and that we have very willingly bought into. But God's ultimate agenda is that He'll set us free from the curse, from sin, from selfishness, and from greed. God's ultimate agenda is that He's going to give a new heaven and a new earth. That we'll be redeemed people. That we'll live in an eternity with God with no more death, no more dying, no more cancer, no more Alzheimer's, no more leukemia, no more racism, no more hate, no more arrogance, no more pride. No more middle schoolers eating alone at a lunch table feeling forsaken. No more college students feeling like they're they're the only one in the world that knows they're there. God's ultimate agenda is He's bringing a new creation. And when Christ stepped out of the tomb, He was the first man of the new creation. He became the firstborn, the firstfruits, the king of the new creation. And He showed us what was coming, a resurrection of the dead. Freedom from sin. The end of the curse. And God is inviting you and me that we would come and live in that. That we'd let the power of God be at work in us. But how do we get there? How do we allow God to have His good work? Do I just try harder? Do I, do I just make sure that I'm in church every Sunday? Do I go back and listen to all the... What do I do? Do I listen to all the podcasted sermons from the last seven years at Carterville Baptist Church? Absolutely. But will that set you free from your sins? No, it will not. There's one way that a person can be... That be you and my mom listening. That be two. There's one way that you can be set free, that God can change you and make a new life. One way. And that is the power of God would be at work inside you. I want to begin today with a story from history, and then we'll dive into the text of Romans 6. If you ever been to Nashville, raise your hand if you've been to Nashville. I, I like the music city. All right? There you go. Not, not, not as good as the friendly city, right? But I like the music city. In Nashville, there's a beautiful building, the Ryman Auditorium. Has anybody ever been to the Ryman Auditorium? Grand Ole Opry was there. Some of you guys might not want to admit it, but you used to watch the Grand Ole Opry, and it was in the Ryman Auditorium. But if you've ever toured the Ryman, you'll know it is an absolutely beautiful building, and I just want to tell you the story of how that building got built. And the reason I want to tell you the story is because it's a way for me to show you one example of life that was changed, of what happened when God took a person, who was in their sin, radically changed them and gave them an entirely different future. So the, the man's name was Thomas Ryman. He was a business owner in Nashville, Tennessee. Among the businesses that he owned, he owned many saloons and a fleet of ships that ran up and down the Cumberland River. Most of them run whiskey and other goods that were marketable. He went to a tent revival. A man named Sam Porter Jones was preaching a tent revival, old school in the late 1800s in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, Thomas Ryman was a rough character, and he went to that revival not to hear the word or worship God. He went to that revival to heckle the pastor. That's a bad dude. Did anybody come to heckle today? Anybody? Any hecklers? Haley. Thomas Ryman went to that tent revival so he could heckle the pastor and give. Sam Jones, a bad time. Try to run him out of town because he's bad for business. What happened is everybody in Nashville gave their life to the Lord? Might close down his saloons. Might be bad for his business. All right, so Thomas Ryman is there to heckle and shut the revival down. But the unexpected happened. While he was there, the Spirit of God moved in his own heart, and God convicted him of his sins. This very confident, very competent, powerful man in Nashville, Tennessee, came to his knees, was broken by God, and set free from a life that would have only ended in destruction and misery. Thomas Ryman bent his knee to Jesus and gave him control of his life. And he was saved. And he so radically changed that as he poured out all the whiskey in the saloons and dumped the liquor from his ships, they say the fish in the Cumberland River were drunk for days. And Thomas Ryman's heart was changed. And here's proof. That preacher, Sam Porter Jones, that he went to heckle Thomas Ryman wanted his sermons about God's will for our lives to be preached all over Nashville. He was so convinced after God moved in his life that it would bless people if they could hear that he wanted Sam Porter Jones to be out from under that tent and under a roof that was large enough to hold a revival worthy of the city of Nashville. That all the people of Nashville could gather in one place for a revival that would go on and on and on. So out of his own pocket... He funded the building of what later was named the Ryman Auditorium. The man who went to heckle the preacher, build the church. That's a life change. I mean, imagine what it was like for his family. When Are you sure? What happened to you? Now, we know stories like that. The church is full of stories like that. If we could talk to everybody, if everybody had the mic, there are dozens of stories in the church of people that would tell you that they were on a crash course in their life and then God saved them and when He did, it turned their life around 180 degrees. And an awful lot of the rest of people in the church would say, no, my testimony is much more natural than that. God brought me from death to life, from dark to light. But I was already a church-going guy. I was depending on religion, though, not a relationship with God. Some of you, your old life may be marked by, I mean, a horrendous laundry list of some very exciting but awful deeds. Others, maybe a normal Baptist. But the critical thing is that God wants to move us from death to life, from the old man to the new man. He wants to transform you from the inside out. Romans 6 tells you how God changes people. So let's read. Romans chapter 6, we'll start reading in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with Him In a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Have you ever imagined that you are united to Jesus, that when He died almost 2,000 years ago, the act of His sacrifice and resurrection was applied to your life in a way that even now, nearly 2,000 years later, the moment that you give your life to Jesus, the moment that you give up and say, God, take control, the moment that you confess Christ is Lord, that you're not going to be the king of your life anymore, the moment that you decide to stop living for the world or for your own power or prestige or popularity, the moment that you confess Christ, somehow you are joined to Jesus in a way that is so mystic and intimate and powerful that it is as if you died on the cross with Him, the old you, the you that was sinful, the you that was committed to your own selfishness, the you that was building your own empire. It's as if the old you, with all of your goals, with all of your agendas, with all of your idols, it's as if the old you died on the cross with Jesus. It's as if the old you was laid on a stone slab in a cold tomb with Christ. And it's as if all of your sins and the old you laid there dead with Jesus, and on the third day as Christ breathed life and stood to his feet and walked out of the tomb, it's as if a new you were born with Jesus to live with Jesus from that day forevermore. Have you ever thought that when we confess faith in Christ, our lives become so bound to him that we can claim like Paul did, I have been crucified with Christ and yet I live. This is how Paul understood the work of God in you. It's not just a cold confession. It's a declaration, Christ is Lord, that joins you to the power of Jesus. Let's read verse 5 again. You'll see what Paul means by the union of your life with Jesus. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we'll certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body that was ruled by sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery Over him. I want to tell you this morning that death no longer has mastery over you either. One of the reasons that we gather on Sunday mornings to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday morning, one of the reasons that we gather once a year in a special way on Easter to celebrate the resurrection is because when Jesus died and rose from the dead, in Christian theology we believe that he actually defeated death itself. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul the Apostle is super clear. The last enemy to be defeated is death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The thing that sin has to hold over us is that because of our sins, we ultimately will die. It's almost as if the ultimate leverage that the devil or sin has over our lives is that as a consequence of my sins, I will face my mortality. I'll die. But when Christ died and rose again, he defeated death once and for all. So that for all those who are in Jesus, death is not the end. We'll die, but we'll raised in Christ. As He was raised, the power of God at work in us, we too are raised. For that reason, when we gather in a cemetery and say farewell to somebody that we love, if their faith was in Christ, we walk out of the cemetery not just with tears, but with tears mixed with hope. Because we know that the righteous in Christ will rise. That Christ will raise the dead. Paul says death is no longer your master. Sin's no longer your master. If you let the power of the cross begin to work in you, the power of the resurrection go to work inside you, then God is transforming you from the old to the new. And a part of that process of being born again, of being redeemed, of being adopted into God's family, is that death has no sovereignty over you anymore. And for that reason, my brothers and sisters around the world, pastors and faithful Christians in Nigeria or Syria or China when they lose their life for their faithfulness to Jesus Christ their families have confidence they have confidence that they haven't lost everything they're raised in the resurrection Paul says death no longer has mastery over you verse 10 the death he died he died to sin once and for all but the life he lives he lives to God in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to Him, who, as, an instrument, to, to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. I think every one of us in the room today would like to be free in Jesus. I think every one of us in the room today would love to see what it would look like if God had his way in our life, if God made us the new man, the new woman, if, if God took the old, left it behind, and did a great work in us. How are we going to see that happen. Today I want to talk to you about the power of the cross. So in the theology of the cross that Paul presented to us, he understands that you actually share in the death and the resurrection. He understands that you're not going to be made right with God by following rules. In, In other words, in Rome, when Paul was writing, Everybody reading that letter wanted to be right with God. Everybody reading that letter, they wanted to be the kind of dads God, that God wanted them to be. They wanted to be the kind of moms that God wanted them to be. They wanted to be the husbands, the wives that God wanted them to be. They wanted to go through middle school and be the middle schoolers that God wanted them to be. Everybody in Rome wanted to be the people that God wanted to, them to be as they're reading this letter. They gathered as the church. They want to please God, but how do they do it? How do they get set free from their sins? Well, a lot of them grew up Jewish. They grew up following the rules, religion, the law. They knew the law of Moses. They knew all the things that they were supposed to do. And for a long time, they thought that they would be transformed, that they would be made right with God by following all the rules. In fact, so much so that when Paul came preaching about a God who was so full of grace that a thief on a cross could beg for mercy and wake up in paradise... When Paul started preaching about a God who loved people so radically, who gave so freely, they started to have real questions. It's almost to me as if the church in Rome said, All right, well, Paul, so I get you. You're saying Jesus died for our sins. Yes. You're saying God will forgive us. Yes. You're saying that if we sin, God gives grace. Absolutely. Okay, Paul, if you preach this gospel of God's radical grace through the cross of Jesus Christ, how are you going to get people to behave? Like you've got to give them the law or they're, they're, they're not going to behave. Like How are they going to be free from sin if you don't give them the rules? They're so used to the rules. And, and I'll bet that there's a lot of us who've gathered this morning that we're the same way. You know, on the one hand, we confess that our faith in Jesus Christ is what's transformed us. On one hand, we confess that we believe the power of God's Spirit is at work inside us, that He's actually changing us. That he's working in our mind, that he's working in our heart. On one hand, we believe that if we ask God, he'll continue to work in our lives and shape us into the image of Jesus. But on the other hand, we also are looking so desperately for a list of rules. We we think that, okay, if I'm going to let God work in my life, the the only way to do it, the only way to do it is is I've got to depend on my good deeds. There are a lot of people in the room today, and like a lot of people in the Pine Belt. That we still operate as if God is watching us and somehow we can be good enough to please Him. And then if our good, day, good deeds outweigh our bad deeds when we die, then we'll wind up with God in heaven. And what we accidentally do when we think like that is we take the cross of Jesus Christ, the power of His resurrection, and we minimize it. In other words, we say to ourselves, my good deeds will earn God's favor and the cross was unnecessary. It's a huge mistake and it will never transform you. A lot of us, we think just our commitment to religion, to church attendance, will change us. I'm going to tell you, you could come here Monday through Sunday and sit on the pews for three hours a day. And you're not magically going to be more like Jesus. I feel like a lot of us are like the believers in Rome. We're so used to the law that God's grace baffles our minds. And we look at Paul the Apostle and we say, I want to be new. I want to share the resurrection of Jesus. I want to be different. I want to be changed. I want to be better. Give me the rules. Show me the law. And Paul says, I'm not showing you a law. I'm not showing you the rules. I'm showing you the person of Jesus Christ. Let's read verse 4, 5, and 6 again. And I want to show you how Paul believed that a person was transformed by God. How does the power of God work in you? Verse 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we'll certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Look at verse 8 now. If we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with Him. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's the power of God at work to change a human heart. Here's how God moves us from the old man to the new man. It's the theology of the cross at work in you. It's your union with Jesus Christ. Paul believes that if you will understand the full power of the work of God on the cross of Jesus, if you won't just size it up as a historical event or as a lesson or as a moment in time, But if you'll understand the magnitude of what happened the day that God came to the earth in the flesh in Christ Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if you'll understand the magnitude of the day that God came to us and died as a sacrifice to save us, if you'll understand the power that was unleashed by God Himself when Christ raised from the dead and started a new creation and God's Spirit went to work in us, if you'll understand the power of God in the cross and the resurrection, You'll fix your mind on Jesus seated at the right hand of God. You'll find how God resurrects people. How God makes the dead men live men. How God brings darkness into light. How God brings new creation. It's not by rules. It's by the power of God who died for us. And what we do as brothers and sisters in Christ is we cling to the resurrection. We cling to the cross of Christ. We come to a point in our lives where we are willing to admit that we do not have the strength to make ourselves equal to God. We can never do enough good deeds to be as good as God, to be worthy, to be adopted into His family. Our only hope is to receive the gift that God generously gave. That when Christ died as a sacrifice to take the punishment of my sins, that I would allow Him to graciously apply it to this sinner's And like Thomas Ryman, and like dozens in this church, and like millions over the course of history, I would watch God change me from the inside out. The church is full of people who want to please God, and I'm I'm grateful for that. We all want to be better. But we have got to stop trying to make it happen in our own strength. We've got to stop fooling ourselves into thinking that if we just try harder without God's help, we'll be made into the image of God. We've got to understand that the power of God at work in the human heart was unleashed at the resurrection of Jesus, and it's alive when, according to Paul, you share in His crucifixion and you share in His resurrection. It is the power of the resurrected Jesus at work in your life that will transform you and bring you one day at a time more and more and more in line with the vision that God has for you. So, what if we just imagined for a minute this Easter morning? Like would have just for a moment. And and I let me say this: I know that the Easter eggs are dyed and they are ready to hide. They're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be under that bush. I promise you, before the day's over. I know that Nana is watching the clock and she gets grouchy if we're there late. I understand. Nana's going to be fine. But let's slow down and let God work for a moment on the day that we celebrate His resurrection. Will you imagine with me what would your life be like for the next year, next decade, if you allowed God to put away the old and bring in the new? What if you and I moved from darkness to light today? What if we became less like people of Adam, stained by the curse, driven by pride, selfishness, and more like Christ, free to sacrifice and to love and to serve. What if God had His work in you today? What would it look like? Use your imagination. If God gave you a vision for yourself as a new woman, as a new man, what would it look like? A person walking at peace with Him. Being who you believe He's calling you to be right now. Living for the things that matter most. Not just for success, not just to turn everybody's head, not just to impress people, not, wor- not worldly, not living for worldly accolades. But what if God did a work in your heart so that you began to live for the things that mattered most and you became the person God wanted you to be? What would that look like? And I'm here to tell you with Paul the Apostle, that the power that transforms us from here to get us there. It's not the strength of our hands. It's not the determination of our deeds. It's the power of God at work inside the heart. Only God can change my heart to want Him. Only God can move me from where I am to where I need to be. We need Christian community. We need, we need discipline. We need help. We need to walk with each other. We need to love each other. The process of God forming us is a long and powerful one, and He uses so many people to do that. But I'm telling you, it begins and ends at the power of the resurrection realized in every life. And so I'm asking you this morning, as you gather to worship Jesus, on the day of His resurrection, is, has there been a moment in your life where you ever stop and realize that if you are ever going to have peace with God, it's going to be because you leaned on His mercy and asked for His forgiveness? In other words, if, have you ever come to a moment where you humbled yourself enough to stop saying, I'm a good person. God would never condemn me. I am a good person. I don't need all that. Have you ever come to a moment where you humbled yourself enough to say, you know what? I absolutely need the resurrection of Jesus in my life. I confess that when Christ died and rose, it was not for no purpose. It was to save me. And today I'm ready to give control of my life to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, we desperately want you to experience the gift of God's kindness this morning. So here's my instructions, pretty simple. If you're here today and God's convicting your heart and you know that you should ask Christ to have control of your life, you want to be a new person, born again, saved. You want to be in the family of God. Here's what you do. I want to tell you, confess Christ as your Lord. Come to a point in your mind when you're willing to give up control of your life. Ask Jesus for forgiveness of your sins and give Him your future. Begin following Him as your resurrected Lord and watch Him change everything. We celebrate that with Christian baptism. And it's not a surprise that Paul started this by reminding us that you were baptized into the death of Jesus. You were raised in the new life of Jesus. And I'm challenging this church family. As you walk out the doors today, let's walk out in the new life of Jesus. Alive to God. Don't let sin be your master anymore. Let it have no more dominion over your life. So this morning, as you reflect on the things that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6. I just want to ask you to consider what God would want you to do. We're going to respond to the Lord here at the end of this sermon. I want to ask you to do this. In the pew in front of you, there's a red card that says connect to Carterville. Would, would you grab that card and just take a look at it? I want to tell you what's on that card. It's in there just for you today. On that card, you got the opportunity to tell me what God's doing in your life. If God's given you a prayer request that you, he, that you want us praying for, would you jot that down on the card? If there's a decision that you need to make for the Lord, that card's an opportunity for you to express it. Is God calling you to give your life to Jesus Christ today? Well, here's what you do. It's very, very simple. During this time of response, you just pray and you ask God for forgiveness. Confess Him as Lord and give your life to Him. No magical words. There's no special prayer. It's an honest heart. I'd love for you to take the time, though, to, to tell me on that card that you've asked for salvation today. At the end of the service, you can drop it in the drop boxes that we have at every exit. Because I want to call you, I want to talk to you about baptism, I want to talk to you about following Christ, about how to live in God. But for every person that's come out to worship on this Resurrection Sunday, man, I pray that God would bless you. That today you would live in Christ. That you would enjoy your new life in Christ. And that you would have a glimmer of hope in your eyes as you live every day henceforth moving towards the new creation. Bow your heads, let me pray for you, if you will. Father, I thank you for allowing us to read Romans chapter 6. Father, we have a chance to consider the power of the cross at work in our own heart as we think about the resurrection of Jesus applied to us. Father, for each one of us who have asked Jesus for salvation today and been baptized into his name I give you thanks Father I pray you help us walk out today in freedom that we would live a new life in Christ And Father for my brothers or sisters who are here today who are far from you today and crave a new life in Jesus purpose meaning and ultimate hope God I pray that you'd pour out your spirit on them and set them free Father, I pray that you grant them mercy. I pray that you'd lead them today, Lord, that you give their heart freedom so they could call out to you. That they could ask for the salvation that Jesus has come to give us. And God, that their old would die and they would be raised to new life right here in our presence this morning. God, if there's any brother or sister who's calling on you for that new life, I pray, Lord, that you grant them courage, that your spirit would watch over them as they take their first steps as a believer in Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would be a blessing to them and to their family as they discover life in you, Lord. I pray that they would give hope this week in their workplace, in the ball fields, and wherever they go. God, I just pray you pour out your spirit and make new creation. I ask for that in Jesus' name.